0: Well, welcome back to the Powell Butte Christian Church Sunday Sermon Podcast. My name is Trey Hinkle. I'm the uh, lead pastor here at uh, Powell Butte Christian Church in beautiful central Oregon. And we are continuing. This is week 43, actually, of our uh, series in the Gospel of Luke. It's been uh, a good study. It's been a long study. and uh, But we are rounding the corner, um, kind of rounding third, headed home, um, hoping to uh, hit the resurrection on uh, Easter Sunday, which is April nine of twenty twenty three, and uh, then there's just a, a couple more sermons after that that we will then finish up the uh, the Gospel of Luke. It's been a like I said a good study, and I'm glad that you have been able to uh, be uh, with us for at least part of the journey. Today we want to talk about regret, and as I think about regret, I, I think of a an old but uh, wonderful joke. About a very devout priest, um, he had taken the vows of poverty, uh, you know renouncing material possessions, he had taken uh, the the vow of uh, celibacy where he would not get married, and uh, he would uh, not fulfill that part of his um, the, the body's uh, cravings um, and, and allow God to be the one that would sustain him in that and uh, that he would then be devoted lifelong to the study of God's word. And he loved the scriptures, and and he was very faithful uh, as best he could. Uh, Of course, that doesn't get you to heaven. Uh, Jesus's sacrifice gets you to heaven. But as it went, uh, he did live the life that Jesus would want him to live here on earth uh, to the best of his understanding. So when he died and was able to enter into heaven, uh, Jesus saw him and uh, offered him a very interesting um, uh, favor. He said, "Listen, uh, we we like to bless those who have lived such a faithful existence on earth." He says, "If there's anything that you would like up here, anything at all, we will allow you that that one favor." And the man said, you know how I loved scripture? And Jesus said, yes, we know that you love the scriptures. He said, you know, I would love to see the scriptures in their original manuscripts. I'd love to see the actual writings of Paul and John and Mark and Matthew and Luke and, and the prophets and King David's Psalms. I would love to see the original manuscripts. And Jesus said, well, we actually have all of those in our own special heavenly library. So he led the priest down to where the library was and uh, the, the priest got to go in and look at all of these scrolls and he was just fascinated and, and just felt so grateful for uh, just this time that he could sit and read the original Hebrew and the original Greek manuscripts. Well, uh, he was left alone for a couple of days and Jesus went to check in on him and um, as he uh, checked in on him after a couple of days... The man is, is crying. The priest was crying. He was slumped over one of the scrolls, and he was just sobbing. And, and Jesus said, you know, up in heaven here, you're not supposed to cry. So why are you sobbing? And the priest said, well, as I was looking through these manuscripts, uh, I, I noticed that there's an R in the word. There's an R in the word. And Jesus goes, well, what do you mean there's an R in the word? What word? He goes, the command to us was celebrate. Now, why that's funny is you got to see it written out. Uh, Because if you take the R out of celebrate, you get celibate. And so what he was bemoaning and regretting was the fact that he thought that the Bible told him that he had to be celibate in order to be godly. And really, the Bible had just said that he needed to celebrate in order to be holy. Now, (laughs) so let's talk about regret. Uh, You know, if only, if only I had known, if only I had done whatever, you know, what a powerful emotion to experience. If I had only known fill in the blank, then I would not have done what I did. I I would not have gotten into that situation. I would have I would not have bought that car. I I would not have bought that house. Or, you know, if only I had known I would have been better. I would have talked to that person. I would have done something. I would have visited my folks. I would have studied harder. If I had only known and and that's the tragedy of regret is is uh tossing this around in your mind to say man I missed out on something and if only I had known mm. so today as we're continuing our study in the book of Luke Jesus is going to be talking about that kind of regret <coughs> but he's going to talk about not just physical regret or regret that we have over experiences that we have here in our material world, in our physical bodies, he's going to be talking about a spiritual regret that sadly, too many people who were made to have a relationship with God will one day feel. They will feel this regret and it will be too late and very tragic. Now, before we start reading this passage in Luke, let me remind you of the context. For the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the triumphal entry of Jesus. Uh, we, we've looked at the crowd that wanted to make Jesus an earthly king. Uh, they didn't understand that that wasn't his intention. And then last week, we, we talked about the donkey that had been used by Jesus and how if we're going to be used uh, for Jesus's purposes, we must be bought and brought and broken just like the donkey was. And this morning, Jesus is still on the donkey. He's not even made it into the, the city yet. But as he overlooks, as as he crests the hill and sees the city, Jerusalem, the city of peace, he is overcome with emotion and for good reason. So again, we're in Luke chapter 19. This is the last time we'll be in Luke chapter 19 for this go around. And we're going to pick it up in verse 41 till the end of the chapter. It says in the English Standard Version, and when he drew near and saw the city, he wept. Now, this is uh, you know, said a little differently, but basically there is that phrase, that awful phrase, if only. Jesus said, would that you, and that would mean if only you. If only you had known on this day that which would have brought you peace, the things that make for peace. So Jesus, whom the crowds only minutes ago were just cheering on as the king, actually begins to weep. What began with cheers now is, Ends with tears, and, and by the way, the word in Greek uh, for Jesus' weeping is the exact same word for when we read of in of, of Peter after he has denied Jesus three times. It says that he went out and wept bitterly. You could have actually said that same thing here. It's the same Greek word. This is the kind of weeping that we see here in in this passage. It's not the silent tears that Jesus would have shed at the death of Lazarus. Now, this is the out loud sobbing, you know, (laughs) in deep grief, kind of crying. It's free. It's overflowing. But why? Why is Jesus weeping? Is it because he knows that he's going to die at the end of the week? Is is it because he knows the pain and the torture that he's going to have to endure before his death? you might think so he does know what's going to happen but no he's not crying for himself uh, you know we are told in scripture that he emptied himself of himself he, he was on a mission in obedience to the father he knows that the cross is part of that plan so the impending death though he will pray to god in the, the garden of gethsemane to take it away from him and if they could do this any other way that would be a good thing But he said, but not my will, but yours be done. That impending death does not make him sad, does not make him weep here. There's no regret to obey what the Father has in plan to redeem mankind. Now, instead, Jesus is weeping for the city, for the people of the city, for God's people, the chosen ones. He's weeping because... Though they, they had been chosen to be God's people, they had turned their back on God, and now they were going to suffer, and that broke Jesus's heart. Uh, th- he's sad because they're going to end up on the wrong side of the truth. Now, as we read this passage, there's a prophecy that Jesus actually pronounces. He says that the days are coming when the enemy is going to come and, de- and to destroy the center of the Judaic religion. He will go on later in the Gospel of Luke to tell his followers about the destruction of the temple, uh, which was the center of Jewish worship. He comments both here and in chapter 21 about how both the temple and the city will be laid to waste, will, will lie in rubble. Now that's a bold prediction, but tragically it happened exactly as he had pronounced it to happen. About 40 years or so after Jesus said these words, When many of those to whom he was speaking uh, were still alive, his words were fulfilled. In the year 70 A.D., the Romans decided to put down a Jewish revolt once and for all, and they attacked the city of Jerusalem that they had just occupied in the past. They laid siege to the city. It started just days before the Passover so that there was an enormous number of out of town Jews that had made their pilgrimage into Jerusalem. We are told uh, through the history books that the Roman commander Titus who would eventually become the Roman emperor encircled the city just like Jesus predicted right here in Luke chapter 19 that that it would happen. And Titus began to starve out the people of the city for almost 5 months. In this siege hundreds of thousands most likely would have died from famine alone but then titus decided to end the siege so he built embankments again just like jesus predicted that allowed the roman soldiers to climb into the city over the gates and attack it from the inside and jerusalem fell and Jerusalem fell by the way not leaving one stone on another just again as Jesus predicted uh, there's a famous Jewish historian named Josephus who when he was writing about the destruction of Jerusalem he estimated that over a million people died inside of Jerusalem during the siege and the attack but so so just like Jesus said it was going to happen but very interesting and this is more important i think is Jesus didn't say what was going to happen. He told us why it was going to happen. The reason that Rome was able to overpower and destroy the city, the reason that there was such a harsh treatment of the people of Jerusalem is found in the last part of verse 44 of Luke 19. The destruction occurs because you, Jesus says, O Jerusalem, you did not know the time of your visitation. You did not know the time of your visitation. I want you to think about this. The most important moment of human history was occurring right before their very eyes. I'm always fascinated by the way certain major events in history sear themselves into people's memories. And so people then ask uh, later on, where were you when, right? Where were you when? JFK was shot. Where where were you when we landed a man on the moon? Where were you on 9/11 when the twin towers went down? Those are all significant events, historic events that changed the course of human history. And we recognize the significance of these events and that's why they leave such an indelible mark in our memories. We we remember where we were during those times. We we catch the significance of those those events. But here was the most important moment in human history. Almighty God, creator of heaven and earth, had come to his people, just as he had told the prophets that he would, by the way. He was going to set up camp, pitch his tent amongst them. He was going to walk with them as one of them. And so the Messiah, Emmanuel, which was a title that meant God with us, was now in their city. But here's the tragic part. They did not recognize what was really taking place. And not only did they not recognize the visitation, they did not recognize this Messiah in Jesus, but they actually consented to and cried out for his death. They consented to his murder. They had missed his visitation. By the way, visitation is a cool term because it's used elsewhere in the Bible when God shows up in human history. But they missed it. They had this spiritual blindness, and that spiritual blindness led to some horrible consequences. Now, there are two messages that I think that we can draw out from this moment of emotion experienced by Jesus as he looks into the city. Two very distinct messages, one for those who have put their faith in Jesus and have decided to follow him. And uh, there is a second message for those who are still on the fence, who have not yet come to faith in who Jesus is and needs to be in their life. So first of all, let's talk about the message for the believer. So as you see Jesus cresting the, the hill and looking over to the city, In his pronouncement of that judgment that will come onto the city, what do you observe in his face? What do you see in his demeanor? Is he screaming at the city? Is he calling down curses and judgment from heaven onto the people? Is there a sort of gleeful sneer on his face in light of the impending judgment of God? Do you get the sense of him saying, Jerusalem, you're going to get what you deserved. Don't miss this. If you are a believer, do not miss this. What we see on Jesus's face here, it's the face that says judgment will indeed come, but it's a face full of tears. It's a face full of tears. It's a, a face that betrays a broken heart. In applying this passage, we must ask ourselves as believers, when we consider the prospects of people in our life, people that we work with, people that we live with, people who are very close to us, when we consider the prospects of them dying without being reconnected to God, without a relationship with God made possible through Jesus, what do our faces look like? Are they twisted with a sort of wicked smile like you're going to get what you deserved? You've been so horrible to me because of my faith. And now, oh, it's going to be so good that you get what's coming to you. Or are our faces, like Jesus's, stained with tears? Why is it that in our culture we see more and more of the angry shouts from believers, shouts of judgment at the world, that, that are ringing out from the corridors of those who are saved. Now, there, though there is judgment in the words of Jesus here at the Triumphal Entry, the words were not angry. They were not shouting condemnation. There was a broken heart, a heart that would pray, by the way, when he was actually on the cross. He would pray to the Father, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Not get them take him out, God. It's not like we hate them. Sometimes sometimes we do. Sometimes we, we, we shout judgment at people. Sometimes we just don't care. We, we, are, we are so much more into what's going on in our lives that we don't even think about the eternal destinies of those we love. We are, we are so absorbed in our own busy worlds. We, we don't hate them, but we just don't have time to invest in building the relationships with those who need to hear the story. Who need to hear about God's love? How many people we know are still existing without any hope for eternal life with their Creator? All the while, those of us who know what the truth is spend little or no time even thinking about people's eternal destinies. You know, I think one of the most horrible things that could happen would be to have somebody that I know look at me on Judgment Day and say, Why didn't you say anything? If only you had said something. So it's interesting that either I see in Christians this judgmental spirit and shouting out condemnation, or I see this apathy because they're so uh, absorbed in their own lives that they don't even think to, to share their faith with other people. And thirdly, why is it that in Christians there's an air of moral superiority over those who are lost? You know the sin, of course, disgusts us when people pervert God's perfect gifts uh, that that are supposed to bring us fulfilment and satisfaction that we we pervert them then into ungodly lusts, yeah, okay, that should disgust us, but I'm talking about a growing disgust of not the sin but the people themselves like like we would be amongst the Pharisees of Jesus' time who were appalled that Jesus would spend time with these horrible, horrible people, the prostitutes, the tax collectors, the quote-end-quote sinners. (laughs) I I wonder, have we forgotten who our enemy truly is? Have we lost sight that those who are caught up in these awful, depraved lifestyles are actually prisoners of war? I, I know it seems with so much antagonism that we face and and that antagonism is growing more and more heated in the West. It seems like we're fighting against flesh and blood. It seems like our enemy are the people that are coming at us. But we need to, it's very easy to see those who oppose us as our enemy. But ultimately, we must understand that the spiritual reality is that these people have been deceived. They have been held captive by the enemy and his dark forces they don't know the truth and and here's here's the deal they really don't know how to find it and they're being deceived every day of of hey look here look there you can find the answers over here or or over there and they they're they're missing it they're, they're being misled they're, they're being misdirected they don't know the truth and they don't know how to find the truth and though it might require a lot of effort on our part, effort, for example, to overlook offenses or effort to find out what is at the heart of their opposition, I believe that we need to ask ourselves how can these people who are ignorant of the truth know what the truth really is unless somebody tells them what the truth is? Uh, for that matter, how could we, how could you and I have known what the truth is without somebody? Telling us. I wonder if we forget sometimes that when Jesus sees our sin, it's just as heinous, it's just as vile as those unbelievers in their sin. You know, God has not invented different categories for sin like some believers often do. And why do they do that? To make them feel better about themselves, their own struggles. Uh, obviously they are way better off than these other people, these these horrible, horrible, um, pagan, heathen sinners. Folks, we were all in the same boat. We were all sinners. We were all enemies of God, and yet Jesus still loved us and offered us forgiveness. And it seems as if he was willing, there on the crest of the hill overlooking the city, he was willing to offer that forgiveness to those who were even then going to be rejecting him later on that week. If only they would have recognized him. But he weeps because he knows that many will not. So perhaps Jesus is calling us as believers to, in light of the judgment that we read of in Scripture that is in store on that great and terrible day of the Lord, Jesus might be calling us as, as believers to weep with him. So that's the message that I I believe that we believers can take from this uh, five verses passage in Luke chapter 19. But there's a message to those who have not yet come to faith in Jesus in there as well. You see, the folks in that camp, you you may be new to church, or you may have uh, attended church off and on for your entire life, but you've not really truly believed in Jesus as Savior. You've never really truly made him king or Lord or boss or CEO or whatever term you would want to say is the person who's in charge. Now, if you are in that group, if this describes you, I want you to know that there's a few things that you must notice about this passage. First of all, I want you to see what Jesus really desires. Look back at verse 42. He says, would you, would that you, even you had known on this day the things that would make for peace, if you had only known on this day what would bring you peace. That's what Jesus desires. He desires for you to know what will bring you peace. Now, it's pretty clear that the world has looked for peace for a long, long time now. Right now, as you hear these words, you might be longing for peace as well. I want you to see from this passage today that Jesus wants you to experience real peace amidst the barrage of worry and fear that we face in our life today. There is something that can center us, something that can ground us. It's a peace that allows us not to panic like so many other people do in this world. We see so many people scrambling to find purpose, to find peace in so many things that the world offers. Material possessions, wealth, relationships, prestige and power, promotions, retirement. Could it be that what these people are seeking can't actually be found in those things? Could it be that there might be something deeper that you are looking for, something much more significant and fulfilling and lasting than anything that the world that is passing away can offer? You know, the Bible tells a very unique story a story unlike any other religion, uh, religious text out there. The Bible tells a story of a God who created human beings not so that he would just be worshipped and have slaves. No, he created human beings to have a relationship with. He created human beings so that there could be this relationship between creator and creation. Uh, uh, By the way, it's a relationship not forced, but based upon free will and love. But sadly, the Bible tells a story that that relationship was damaged through our rebellion, mankind's sin, missing the mark, thinking that we could do it on our own. Human beings were tempted to find fulfillment through their own means, and we were deceived into thinking that we could not trust our Creator, the one who ironically created us to trust him and to have a relationship with. And so we walked away from that. And we tried to figure it out on our own. Oh, if only we had known. If only you could know. You see, there's just one way to be reconnected to the creator. <clears throat> and that not of ourselves. It was provided for us by the one who loves us. The only way to be reconnected to your creator in a way that is eternal and actually life-changing. Jesus told us in, in this very audacious claim recorded by John in his gospel, chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said these words that you have to deal with. You can't just ignore these. He said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And then he says this. No one can come to the Father except through me. So Jesus is saying to the people in Jerusalem, if only you had known what could have made you right with God, to bring you peace in your life because there's a peace between you and your creator. If only they would have known. And again, here's the message to you. If you have not yet put your faith in Jesus, if only you could know. Why would Jesus weep over you? It's very simple. You matter. You matter. It's very clear from the Gospels. You know, the verse that is immediate, that comes immediately after the most famous verse in the Bible, you know, the most famous verse in the Bible is John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have eternal, everlasting life. The very next verse we often miss, it's just as important. It said, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. You see, you matter. You matter so much that God would be willing to give up his son, which, by the way, Jesus was essentially God in human form. So God is really sacrificing himself so that you and your sins can be taken away, forgiven, the, the slate wiped clean and you could be made right with him and might be saved. It's his love. It's his kindness that leads us to salvation. Some of you may have heard the astounding news this past couple of weeks about a revival that has broken out in uh it's not uh, I think it's Willsbury or something like that. It's in Kentucky. There's a small Christian school called Asbury University. And what started as just a routine chapel service there at this small Christian college has now continued nonstop. Uh now we're we're looking at um this is probably one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight days now. Non stop. Uh people calling upon God as their Savior and having uh, these young people are having their faith revived. Uh, Following a a morning service back on February 8, uh, a choir had begun to sing on the stage and some of the students and attendants stuck around. And then more came back. And by evening, more and more, they had trickled back into the sanctuary and and something special was created. No projector screens, no high-tech Uh, innovations, just wooden sanctuary chairs filled with people and an open altar call with an invitation to come and pray that still as of uh, February 16 has not yet ended. The revival has spread to nearby Lee University as well. It's made national news. Why? Because something is powerful. Something powerful is happening there. Very simple, but very powerful. The revival, one news uh, organization wrote this. The revival began with a simple message. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been. You were created by a God who wanted a relationship with you and wanted you to begin to reflect his character. He loves you. He loved you even before you knew him. He loved you with a love that was willing to take your punishment on himself so that he could have you back. And additionally, whatever you're trying to be, whatever, whatever uh, kind of good life you were trying to live, a, a life of love that happens only when you have been truly um, uh, exp- that you've truly experienced firsthand God's love for you. The love that this world needs The the, the preacher was saying the, the love that the world needs to see needs to come from us. But the only way that we can actually show that kind of love, the kind of selfless love that the Bible talks about is when we experience Jesus's love firsthand, because that kind of love changes you. That kind of love helps you be more and more like Jesus. That kind of love helps you reflect the godly character that you were designed to live out. That was the message that was preached that day. And that message resounded to the very core of these young people who were listening. And more and more people just flooded in listening and giving their life back to to Jesus. Because they saw in that message something very real. Something that they had been looking for. Something that sometimes in churches they they don't see. But it's something that they knew that they needed. They, They saw what in that message, what they had been pursuing by other means in, in vain. And so they've responded. That's why Jesus is weeping over those who have not yet reconnected with God. This is why he weeps for those who have not yet discovered the peace that God wants them to experience. Jesus has a desire. And that desire is that you be made right with God, that you turn to Jesus as your savior to open up your eyes and to see that no matter what you've been looking for, He is all you need. Now, why is this such a big deal for churches? Why does it matter that you hear this message and that you respond to this message? Well, it's it's because like Jerusalem here in our passage, if you don't recognize the time of His visitation to bring peace to your life, then what is waiting for you is exactly what the enemy desires to do to you. And that is ultimately destruction. That's what the enemy wants to do to you, is to destroy you. That's not great news, I know, but it's reality. The enemy has promised people so much. The enemy says, follow after your own heart and you'll find fulfillment. The enemy says, forget what God has said, because sin is so much more fun freedom to do what you want to do. Oh, that's so much better than having to serve God. Now, it's true that sin can be fun. Pursuing your own pleasure, your own desire can be uh, a very uh, fulfilling thing at, at first. But ultimately, sin will snag you, trap you, tie you down, The destructive nature of sin begins slowly pulling you away from God's best for your life, and then it builds up into something that you just can't control anymore, and eventually you wind up living the very existence your heart demands, separation from God, with no hope and no life change. You wanted it in this life? And then God says in his righteous judgment, he's going to grant your desire for all of eternity, a godless eternity, (laughs) if only you would have known. That's why churches make a big deal, because God has infused in our hearts the same desire that he has. He wants you to come to him, to accept his terms of peace. Now what are the terms of peace? What would it have meant for the city of Jerusalem? What could it mean for you? The terms are simple. There's no earning it, by the way. You don't have to know all the answers. You don't have to get cleaned up in order to be in his presence. You just have to turn to Jesus, acknowledging him as Lord and accepting his gift of grace and forgiveness. So I guess you do have to get cleaned up, but it's not on you to clean yourself up. It's up to Jesus' blood to cover your sin, and it's up to the Holy Spirit to change who you are. See, that's what Jerusalem had missed. They were still so much relying on their own efforts, their own self-righteousness to be made right with their God. They had their own ideas who the Messiah was supposed to be. But Jesus said, I've come to be your Savior and your Lord. And that's the simple answer. That's the acknowledgement that brings us peace with our God. And that's what we preach because that's what Jesus would want you to know. And that's why Jesus would be crying, weeping for you today so that you might know that which can bring you peace and find his presence on the day of his visitation to you. All right. Well, that's uh, the message that um, we're going to be having this weekend. If, uh, Something that is said on these podcasts really uh, strike you, uh, move you, I'd invite you to just reach out to us. You can go onto our website, com, And Butte is spelled with an E at the end, B U T T E. Powell, P O W E L L, There There's a way at the bottom of that front page to send us a, a message. You can email me directly at Trey, T R E Y, dot p B C C stands for Powell Butte Christian Church trey.pbcc at gmail and just let me know um, if you've accepted Jesus if, if this is something new to you and 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 your world has kind of uh, exploded upon hearing this truth from God's word we'd love to hear from you and and uh, pray with you and, and encourage you on your journey I know that I'm always encouraged when people reach out to me and tell me that they've been listening on the podcast. So thank you. Thank you for doing that. Thank you to uh, Lisa Welle, uh for being the, the person that uh, produces these podcasts and get them up on the, the platform. I'm always grateful for um, one of our elders here, Steve Pittman, for just uh, being on top of our tech game over here and allowing us to do things like this. Uh, you can always catch us online uh, on our YouTube uh, channel uh, every sunday uh, we do live streaming of all three of our services at 8:30, 10:30 and 11:30 and um of course the podcast is always available on the podcast platforms or even on our website at powellbutechurch.com. god bless you and uh, may you know of his great love for you and may that bring revival either for the first time or uh, for the seventh time, whatever it be, regenerate it once again in your life so that you might understand God's purposes for your life through His love. God bless you. We'll talk to you next week.